This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey everybody, Bob here. On today's episode of Film & Whiskey, we sit down with Patrick H. Willems. He is a filmmaker and YouTuber with over 300,000 subscribers. You might know him from his videos, What If Wes Anderson Directed X-Men, or maybe from his Patrick Explains series of video essays. We talk with Patrick about his time at Oberlin College, how his YouTube channel got started, how COVID has affected production, and we even grill him a little bit in a lightning round. That's all next on Film & Whiskey. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. I am super pumped for this interview, Brad, that we have today. Maybe my favorite YouTuber, like in, in the whole site of YouTube, we have brought in Patrick H. Willems to talk with us today to drink some whiskey. I, Brad, I don't even know how to intro him. I have his bio in front of me, but like you and I have shared so many Patrick Willems videos back and forth with each other over the years that this is like, I'm having trouble not just being a fanboy right now. Yeah, I honestly, Bob, I think the best way to bio Patrick is to talk about why we love him. <laughs> and the reason I love you so much, Patrick, and I love your videos, is that like, the more I watch your videos, I appreciate that you actively choose to be positive about movies. Like you're constantly reframing why you go to see movies and you're forcing others to ask themselves the same question. Why do I go to see a movie? And in a culture that's like really angry about everything, I think the reason I love your videos so much is because they're so daggone refreshing. You know, I like your video about stop talking about plot holes has been just echoing in my brain for years now. And, and it just makes me happy every time I watch it or think about it. So I don't know. Is that is that a good bio? <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, uh, that sounds really good. I'm I'm blushing really hard right now because that was all so nice of you. I also it's, it's I, I like that you you cite the the plot holes video because that is also the video that pissed off the most people. Like that is the most confrontational video I've ever made. Uh, and th they're not usually like that. They're usually a lot more kind of even handed and chill but yeah i mean but in general i i love movies i think they're really great i don't have like this like very clear philosophy about or like like principles that i that i, that I feel like i need to stick to with every video i just make videos about things that i am passionate about and and am excited about and i think just the, the main recurring thing is that i'm excited about movies and i i love them and i like obviously, videos about why things are bad uh, often per perform very well, uh, and people like watching them. Uh, but for me, I'm if I'm going to spend multiple weeks on a single video, I'd rather the topic of it not be something I hate. Yeah, the process is stressful enough, even just trying to make a video about something I I like. 
I feel like I'm I'm just rambling now, but uh, but yes, I think you did a pretty good job summing up what I <laughs> attempt to do on this YouTube channel. Well, I think you do a really great job of it. And and Brad and I have been kind of talking, prepping for this interview, like what is it that we really love about Patrick Willems videos? And Brad hit the nail on the head. And like, I think that when you get into actually critiquing things that were bad about a movie, the reason that it works so well is that you have established that you just love watching movies. And even if it's a movie that might not be objectively great, you think it's just an awesome thing to talk about. When it comes to building rapport with your viewership, that's what really makes people stick around. I mean, on that note, I, I, I think everything you're saying is correct, but it reminds me that I think something that, that definitely articulated something that I'd been thinking about for a while, because I, I think this came out when I was in college. There was an essay by the writer Film Crit Hulk uh, called Never Hate a Movie. And uh, it was it was kind of like an anecdote about this time that like at, at a screening of a film, he like met Quentin Tarantino, uh, who like imparted just this like, the writer had said that like, you know, oh, I hated this movie. And Tarantino was like, ne said, never hate a movie. It's like, you can not like it, it cannot work for you. But there's always something you can get from it or learn from it. Uh, mm. And so the the experience will pretty much always be like valuable in some way. There's a small handful of movies that like I think I have like made the world a worse place by existing that I think are actually like morally <laughs> corrupt. And that's when I might say I hate something. To me, it's just like not really productive to just really just uh, uh, harp on like why a thing sucks, you know, even if I'm talking about why, like a film that doesn't work for me, I try to approach it from from the perspective of, of at least like what is this trying to do and why isn't it working instead of just like, oh man, this thing just it sucks so much. Look at all the ways that it sucks. Like that's, yeah. I mean, again, I I see the appeal and and it is a thing that a lot of people enjoy. And everyone sometimes I you know I'm in the mood for a a, a why it sucks video just. In terms of what I make, you know, that's not really it. And if we could just back up for just a second, I feel like we didn't even give you like your proper bio. Patrick, you went to Oberlin College. You studied cinema studies. Uh, you now live in New York City. What's it been like to get back into the city and, and try to return to normalcy? I think you've been hinting at that in your videos a little bit lately. But I mean, honestly, like, how, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a strange year. I don't think anyone is doing great, but I I was very fortunate that in in the middle of March, I happened to visit my parents in upstate New York for a weekend to shoot a video. I went up there on a Thursday. I was supposed to come back to the city on Monday, and it was right when things started getting bad, and uh, and so. Uh, at first, I was like, maybe I'll stay a few more days until things blow over. And then it became, let's maybe I'll stay till the end of the week, then maybe till the end of the month. And then I'm just <laughs> here indefinitely. And I'm really like talking to all my friends who were in New York City and seeing what things were like here. I just got so lucky that I happened to pick that weekend to visit my parents. If it were like one week later, uh, I would have ended up canceling the trip, I'm sure. If it had been one week earlier, I just would have come back to the city. And um, and that was really a, the perfect place to be quarantined for months because it was like, 
a house out in the country surrounded by woods. I like hanging out with my parents. We were very secluded. There were no other people around. It was pretty nice. I, I just had to, of course, figure out a new way to do my work. And now that I'm back in the city, it's, it's funny. I actually, I came back to the city a few weeks ago. I was here for about two weeks, made one video back in my apartment, and then my roommate moved out. And now I'm, so I had a roommate for two weeks, and now I'm living alone. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm just now sort of attempting to redecorate my apartment now that, you know, half of the inhabitants are no longer here. And so <laughs> things are pretty good, I got to say. Well, that's really good because uh, I, I reached out and emailed you to see if you'd like to be on the show with us. And it was in the middle of watching one of your videos. And it just happened to be the one where I think it's where you move back to the city at the end. But you spend the last like three minutes of that video just saying, guys, I'm really tired and this has been very draining and I'm I'm not doing super well right now. <laughs> and I had just sent you this email like, hey, come be on our podcast. <laughs> I got to the end and I was like, there's no way this man is going to come be on our podcast. So I'm I'm really glad to hear that things have returned to at least some sense of normalcy for you. Oh, yeah. And and, and to be very clear, like I even though in that video I was talking about being tired you know like everyone was in that scenario like that's right. everyone being stuck inside that was not different than anyone else i think for me part of it was that i i was stuck in the place that i would ideally like to be stuck and i, I actually was like for for several months was very productive uh up at my parents house and excited creatively about the work i was doing and like the fun opportunities and possibilities with the format that I adopted when I was up there, when I sort of switched my videos to like a sort of late night talk show format. For me, uh, as, as if anyone, you know, watches my videos, what you can, like one thing that's apparent about them is they don't tend to use the same like style and format each time. I, t I tend to, like I make my life more difficult by trying to like find some unique approach to each new video just because i kind of need to do that so as not to get bored uh like i uh, when i started making video essays i started i spent about a year in of in 2017 making them in the the more traditional like kind of like voiceover over movie clips style which is a, a totally great format so many people do it really really well i love watching videos like that i just found that doing it myself for a year uh I got really bored and I hmm. didn't really, I just wasn't excited about the process of making things that way. And so I try to, you know, approach each video in a new way. And then I uh, doing 10 episodes in that same like talk show format that I was using, even though there were ways to kind of like make each episode unique, just like the similarities each time and like the same like setup each time. I, I I felt like I had about done everything I could with that format and I was tired of doing things in a similar way each time and I just wanted some kind of change. And, um, and I think it came at the perfect time and I'm feeling really good now that I'm back in the city. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs a little uh, variety in their life. But I, I know for me... One of the ways that, you know, you can deal with a little bit of the stress in life is by drinking whiskey because this isn't just the film podcast. 
It's also the Phil and Whiskey podcast. And Patrick, we sent you over a few whiskeys. But my first question is, what is your go-to spirit of choice? Is whiskey it? Uh, you know, I've noticed a bottle of Jameson in some of your videos. But, uh, you know, what, what do you like to drink normally if, if you're enjoying an adult beverage? Yeah, uh, it, it usually is whiskey. Jameson is kind of my go-to. I just think it's one of those things where once I sort of like enjoying uh, whiskey, you know, my, my mother's from Ireland, so we, there would often be like Irish whiskey in the house. And um, I I like a, like a broad assortment of whiskeys, but, um, but yeah, Irish and Jameson is usually like my go-to. So we might be like stretching you a little bit here because we've sent over three bourbons from a company in Michigan called Traverse City Whiskey Company. Uh, They honestly, just as a side note, one of the best companies we've ever worked with in terms of their willingness to collaborate. And we told them, you know, we're going to do this podcast with Patrick Willems. They're like, sign us up. We will ship it to him right now. And so they sent three whiskeys along, the first of which is their standard straight bourbon. It is an 86 proof bourbon. They also sent us a barrel proof version of their bourbon, which clocks in at 116 proof. And then they have one that's called the American Cherry Edition, which apparently Traverse City is uh, they call themselves like the world capital of cherries. And so they have infused their bourbon with cherries. And so we're going to have a little bit of a flavored whiskey as well. Brad, you and I, and I think Patrick as well, have been pouring out the Black Label uh, straight bourbon whiskey. And so really quickly, like, what are you picking up on this whiskey, guys? And for Patrick, is is bourbon something that you ever kind of gravitate towards? Uh, it is. Yes, I, I, I do enjoy bourbon. I'm just about to take my first sip of this one. Oh, sure, sure. This is really nice. It's very smooth. We uh we sampled just as an aside. We sampled these like immediately before getting on with you, and I was so relieved because I didn't get a chance to taste them ahead of time. And I was like, man, I really hope these aren't these aren't awful. We we've gotten one or two whiskeys that were kind of doo doo, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like trying to find really nice things to say. Right. <laughs> no, this is good. I'm 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 thoroughly enjoying this. Yeah, Bob. As I as I kind of knows this, I'm getting a lot of standard uh, bourbon notes. You get a little bit of vanilla. It's not as caramely. Um, or deep as some of the whiskeys I've had. But as I sip on it, it is smooth. Um, it has a nice buttery taste on the back end and almost a little bit of banana going on. It It's a tasty whiskey. Yeah, I'm really surprised at how much flavor they got into this, Brad, because again, it is only 86 proof. It's, it's fairly light in color and it's a little bit thin in terms of mouthfeel. But like, man, the nose is great. I got a little bit of like pear on the nose. And in terms of flavor delivery, this is way above average. And I think it's a really good starting point for us uh, as we kind of sip and talk a little bit more with Patrick. All right. So, Patrick, I I just want to kind of gauge where did your love of movies really start? Like growing up, were your parents really into watching films with you or was it something you kind of discovered on your own? Okay, so I I actually have a pretty clean origin story for how (laughs) I ended up this way. Uh, and I believe it starts in 1992. So I am about maybe four years old. And this is a period when uh, a very popular thing was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. And especially with kids my age, I think my like my, my neighbor was into it and I wanted to watch it. And my parents, this is a very important part. They told me I couldn't watch it because it was too violent. 
But what they revealed to me years later, I think when I was like a teenager, was that they just thought it looked annoying and didn't want to put up with it. But so they said I couldn't watch Ninja Turtles. And so instead, (laughs) they showed me the 1966 Batman movie, the one with Adam West and Burt Ward. And um, and of course, when you are like four years old, you don't realize that that movie is very funny. It's just awesome. Right. Oh, yeah. And I uh, but also my parents were they did not pay much attention to pop culture at all. So they were not aware that in 1992, I ba- they were basically introducing their son to this thing that would make him obsessed with Batman. And it was the same year that Batman Returns was released in theaters yeah. and that Batman the Animated Series premiered on TV. So suddenly I got really into Batman when Batman Mania like swept the country and uh, there was all of this stuff. There were action figures everywhere. So I was just all in on Batman. And that led to me being all in on comic books and then like immediately thereafter into movies. And so that was kind of the the start of all of it. And, and it just kind of went from there. And then, and I, I do have to credit my dad for, uh, during my childhood and especially like into middle school, just like introducing me to various like important films that kind of shaped my, my, my tastes and, and knowledge and, and just views on the medium. But, uh, but I, I can really trace it all back to 1992 and that one decision my parents made. Well, Patrick, I think Bob and I are right there with you. Um, we both have talked extensively about how our dads really shaped our movie tastes and influence and why we love movies. You know, I, I grew up watching a lot of old westerns and a lot of uh, Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, like those types of movies. And Bob just got the entire range of things. Uh, him and his dad would watch literally anything from any period. But you kind of took the further step and went to Oberlin to actually study film. Now, that was interesting to Bob and I because he and I are both from Northeast Ohio. And so I was like, oh, yeah, Oberlin. I've like played Ultimate Frisbee there and, and had friends who went there. So I was like, man, like Patrick has this Ohio connection that I'm excited about. So tell us a little bit about your time in Oberlin and how it kind of helped develop your own unique style of critique and enjoyment of movies. So the funny thing about me going to Oberlin is that uh, when I applied to college, I only I applied to eight schools. I only got into two, uh, and Oberlin was one of them. Oh, I, I was not excited to go to Oberlin. Um, I applied because my dad went there, and oh, then also my younger sister, two years later, also went there. So three of the four members of my immediate family went to Oberlin, a very good school. Had a good time, liked it a lot. But originally, it's like I got into that and then my safety school. And I was like, well, Oberlin's the better one, so I'll go. And I thought I might transfer after a year to a school with a stronger film program. Because Oberlin, weirdly, despite the fact that it has produced, especially in the past like decade or so, like several people who have gone on to like create TV shows and stuff like that. It is not mm-hmm. known for uh, its film program. It is not known for just like, like filmmakers coming out of that school. The thing is, it, they don't even have a traditional film program. They have a cinema studies program, which is basically like an English program. But instead of instead of reading books and writing papers about them, you watch movies and write papers about them. And so I took cinema studies classes, and I decided. 
like during my freshman year that since I, I like I made a bunch of friends, I was having a good time. I'm like, I don't really want to have to start over from scratch at a new school. I'll just stay here. And I was really just interested in making movies, but the production classes were kind of limited. Uh, that was not like they didn't have a ton of equipment. And so I would take whatever production classes I could get and then would end up taking a lot of like film theory classes where you learn about film history and, you know, you write a lot of papers about movies and, um, in the cinema studies department, they did not have any faculty members who had actually like written and directed narrative films. Mm. They had like sort of avant-garde video artists. They had document uh, documentary filmmakers. No one with any experience like just working in the most popular traditional form <laughs> of the medium. Right. And right. so <laughs> I didn't get a lot of like really useful help since that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and what I ended up learning a lot more from were just the film theory classes where I was, you know, classes on like the history of like musicals in American cinema. Um, like that's what ended up teaching me a lot. And the stuff that I learned from those and from those very good professors, it really benefited the actual filmmaking that I did. And then the great irony of it is, uh, is that I thought after college, I would never write an essay again. And all I would do was just make <laughs> narrative films. And now here I am writing <laughs> essays about cinema for a living. So I guess that that degree in cinema studies finally paid off. It's paying off. Yeah. But I think like it, it actually makes a lot of sense when you look at your YouTube channel, because, you know, if I could be like really reductionistic, like it kind of breaks down pretty nicely into three kind of distinct phases when I go through the history of your videos, because you started off making like short films and uh, your own narrative, small films. And then like at some point you, you were like, you know what, let's do some videos on what if Wes Anderson directed the X-Men and, and what if Tommy Wiseau did Batman. And, and so you started making films like in the style of others and, and kind of mimicking that and to really great effect. And then there's another phase that happens where you start getting into essays. And I think it's really cool to watch the development of your channel. But then also like, you know, in these last 10 episodes that you did in the late night format, I think you kind of brought all three of those together where you're, I mean, you're doing video essays, but you're doing it in a unique format while also introducing characters like Charles the Coconut mimicking the style of a late night talk show. It's this really cool synthesis, I guess, of like all the different phases that you've gone through in the channel. Thank you. And I, I've, I've got to say, it's uh, it's always nice to hear people acknowledge the videos I made pre-November 2016. Because the thing is, I started the YouTube channel in June 2011, but it took wow. about five and a half years to like become successful. And so to a lot of people, like it like didn't exist before November 2016. And uh, so I, I really appreciate that. And also just it's I, I appreciate you like, you know, describing it as having phases. I mean, you're totally right. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where because like I'm I've been like just inside of it this whole time. I'm not I'm not really sitting back and being like, yes, there was, of course, the phase that lasted from 2014 to 2016. <laughs> and then and then with this one video, a new phase began. But yeah, that was the thing. The uh, the channel was all like short films, narrative stuff, a lot of stuff like because, you know, I was trying to figure out like how to make things that people will watch 
on the internet. You know, the reason I started the YouTube channel, because like after I graduated from college and I'm like, how do I get a career? Like, what what do I do now? I have a degree in a thing that does not like there are no jobs waiting for me now that I have a cinema studies degree. Right. And so I figured the two real career paths where I could move to LA and just work on film sets and, uh, you know, be a PA, get people coffee, do. And again, in no way do I, do I want to like criticize that choice because that has clearly worked out really well for plenty of people. But for me, I really need to be consistently making stuff, uh, to, to be satisfied. And so, and I had recently discovered that, uh, oh, people are doing interesting filmmaking stuff on YouTube and finding an audience. This is like a viable commercial and artistic platform. And I already had like this whole like network of, of friends that I'd been making movies with for years. So I was like, great, I'll start this YouTube channel. We'll, we'll make all these videos and hopefully I'll, you know, reach some kind of audience. And, uh, and to be very clear, the channel was not remotely profitable for five and a half years. <laughs> I lost money making those videos but it w i learned a lot and i'll also it was constant practice so i got better uh but you know a lot of those videos they would be like riffing on various like pop culture stuff like comic books movies you know it's like that was those kinds of videos these sort of like somewhat well-produced like pop culture like parody or or like homage videos that was a big industry on YouTube for years, and it has kind of gone away now. Like, you don't really see people making, like, fake movie trailers anymore. That doesn't right. really exist. But that's that's what I was doing for a long time, and some of those videos would get some traction. They'd get picked up by websites. They'd write about them. and it. But it was really when, in 2014, that I started doing the – the series of uh, of like sort of reimagining movies or like um, imagining movies if made by different filmmakers where I would really that that's where I started actually like putting the cinema studies degree to use and like studying the work of filmmakers and trying to like distill their core themes and visual ideas into this like very small digestible form figure out how you could apply it to like different properties and uh, and that was that was a really fun time. I miss making those videos. I I would love to find a way to return to it. They're also just hard to produce. And then strangely enough, the channel finally took off and like started growing when I made my first video essay, which I did not expect to happen. But that's how these things go. Yeah, you you kind of throw a bunch of stuff against the wall year after year after year, and just be like, oh, this one sticks. I guess I guess we'll keep doing that then. Yeah, I I mean, so a major lesson I learned was uh so to date still the most viewed thing I've ever made is the what if Wes Anderson directed X-Men video. That one it did very well. I I thought it would do well. I'm usually not ver not good at all at predicting how things will perform. That one I was like, I think this is a good idea and it did really well. And and then my huge mistake was that I, first of all, did not make another video for a month after that one was released. And then when I, I did make another video, it was not like that one at all. Hmm. It, it took me, I think, maybe five months to make another video in that series. And, uh, and so I, I lost any momentum I had from that viral hit. It was, uh, it was very stupid of me. What I should have done 
was immediately like the next week had another one ready to go. And I didn't. And so I learned my lesson. So when I made my first video essay and it performed really well, then I I realized, okay, I have to make more of these. This one, this did well. This is a thing that I'm pretty sure I can I can do more of these and I can do an okay job at them and people want to see them. And so at first it was like one video essay a month and then it became more frequent and now it is all the channel is. But yeah, but... I, you know, you, you live and you learn. And uh, I've, I've had a lot of valuable learning experiences trying to do this YouTube thing. And that was a big one. And I'm glad it finally worked. Well, and one of the biggest things I've learned over the years is that barrel proof whiskeys <laughs> are not to be messed with. That was the best segue I've ever heard, Brad. I, I dude, I'm just I'm just killing it today. Should I pour this one but, out uh, right now? Should I try this thing? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's move into this barrel proof version. Patrick, I have to ask, you know, barrel proof is kind of like taking, you know, the whiskey experience to the next level. Is it something you've experimented with? Do you like barrel proofs? You know, is this something you're comfortable with or is this like a brand new experience for you? I think I've had maybe one before, but I'm about to try that. I'm going to try this right now. Yeah. So we are jumping up from an 86 proof whiskey to an 116 proof whiskey. And they take this directly from the barrel and put it into these bottles. And, you know, what you typically get is a way more highly concentrated flavor profile. You get a ton more alcohol, obviously, too. So you have to sip slowly. But, Brad, when I when I'm nosing this, this is like classic whiskey to me. It's got ton of it's almost like a uh, reminds me of like a brown sugar cinnamon, kind of like a pop tart thing. It's got a little bit of breadiness to it. Um, almost some peanut buttery caramely notes as well. This is a really good, sweet, dark bourbon on the nose. Yeah. And Patrick, just as a, this is one of the tips that I was given that has helped me immensely. Whenever I'm nosing a barrel proof bourbon, the alcohol can just hit you so hard. Oh, oh so much more of it. Yep. Yep. I, uh, <laughs> trust me, I experienced that and I've already taken a sip and, uh, I felt that this is, yeah, yeah this one is not messing around. Yeah. So the thing that I was told is that if you just give a quick puff of air into the glass, it actually helps clear out some of that alcohol so that you can actually smell the whiskey. Because like, man, when I pick up the glass of a barrel proof and I just shove my nose in there, (laughs) I'm like immediately forced back. It it just destroys me. Oh, yeah. No, this is good. I'm I'm enjoying this. I've, I've had two sips so far. So, Patrick, have you ever had any experience with, like, doing a whiskey tasting or nosing whiskey before? Because, you know, when we started this podcast, we had absolutely no experience with it. And we had to kind of Um, overcome the temptation, like, the temptation to get inside of ourselves and and think this probably sounds pretentious because we're trying to identify scents on something. And, you know, when you don't have the vocabulary, it's really, really hard to do. And I, it's only through doing like 150 episodes of this podcast now that I think we're finally learning to identify things. But have you had any background with that before? Uh, not with whiskey. No, I've um, honestly the, the closest I've come to this is uh, a good friend of mine who is like a, a part of the team that works on the videos. Year, I think back in like maybe 2013. Uh, he got a job as a as a barista, but specifically one who had to like host cuppings at, mm. at a sort of like fancy coffee shop. And so it got went through all this training uh, to basically like pour out different like brews for people and 
And, and it's the same thing, you know, you, you, you nose it, you, you sip it, you, you try to describe what you're tasting. And I remember him sort of like, like kind of hosting like a test to one of these and like showing us how to do everything. And, uh, and that was my first, like I hadn't done a wine tasting before, but that was kind of my introduction to this kind of thing. And I feel like whether it's whiskey or wine or coffee, uh, a lot of the same approaches apply. And I should also say that, especially if anyone watched my episode about the TCM Wine Club, uh, I'm bad at uh, describing what I'm tasting and smelling. But that said, I still enjoy it. So I so That's... don't worry. I don't think you guys are being pretentious. Uh, I understand. <laughs> like I, I understand all of this, even if I'm not good at doing it myself. And so I I think it's cool. That's okay. You're you're doing great, man. And I have to say, like, Brad, sometimes we do bonus episodes and, and people are, are kind enough to send us samples of their whiskey and we say very nice things, but wouldn't have them on our own shelves. And I have to say, we are two out of three into this Traverse City lineup right now. And I'm telling you, both of these would probably be like in the top third of the whiskeys that we've ever tried on this show. I am really, really impressed with both of these. I would wholeheartedly recommend the barrel proof. Yeah, Traverse City seems so far to be a heck of a craft distillery that if you're in the Michigan area, I would definitely check them out. Bob, do you know what their distribution is? I don't, Brad. Um, I don't think they carry it in Ohio, but Ohio is also kind of weird like that. So check out their website. They definitely have like a store locator where you can try to find this. But uh, I would absolutely recommend the Barrel Proof. The straight bourbon is great as well. And we still have one more to try a little later on in the episode. Yeah, I, I have to say liquor laws to me, are about as complicated as the rules are for the Oscars. Like, I don't really understand any of it, but for some reason, certain things get in and other things don't, and and that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's a whole other direction we could go with things. <laughs> but, Patrick, I want to ask you real quick. Like, we... Obviously, we have been fans of your videos before, and I have to ask you, as a guy who... I mean, you're still on Twitter, which I respect just for being on Twitter at this point. What does a good fan interaction look like? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've I've seen you have to defend against people that are just throwing hate at you because you defended the Last Jedi, or you know, explain. Yeah, people are so angry that I that I I liked a movie that came out like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so what I'm weird. Saying. Like, what what does it look like for you now to have a positive fan interaction, or is it more just like I don't want to hear from anybody anymore? Uh no, I I, I have to say. I am extremely grateful to have somehow, because uh, I, I don't know how any of this works, but I have somehow managed to build a a really wonderful audience. Anytime, like anyone has ever like recognized me in person, and I've like interacted with with like people who watch the videos like in real life. Uh, they're always lovely. They're they've always been really really nice, really friendly, and then and even on social media, which is usually a bad place. Yeah, the whole audience is just really positive. Uh, it, it like the audience. The, the I will say a, a thing about my audience because I can I see the analytics on YouTube. I know the numbers. Our audience is not growing quickly. Our, the audience actually grows very slowly. But I'm it, this is not really a problem. But the thing is, the audience. Not a lot of new people are finding the videos, but the people that are are there and watch them uh, seem very invested. What I've realized about the audience is that they will—they're very open-minded, and 
regardless of the topic that I'm making a video about, like even if it's something that is not remotely popular or topical, like like the video on like on Mama Mia, for instance, those videos will still perform totally fine. The audience will follow me on these weird detours and tangents into unexpected and and like not frequently explored territory um because they they really just seem to like movies and be interested in it's like if i'm excited about a thing they seem to be like you know what maybe it's worth checking out and i really appreciate that i i'll talk to friends who you know also have are like film youtubers and uh and they'll express to me like frustration that that like when they try to like explore and um kind of unconventional topic that their audience might not follow them there and and might just not watch the video and I'm really grateful for the fact that my audience will and I think that just speaks to to them being like like a really like fun nice open-minded group of people and so you know these fan interactions that 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 you you speak of I in my experience are like mostly like very very good and the negative interactions that I have are pretty much always with people who who don't really watch the videos because they only seem to care uh, about what I say if I'm talking about Star Wars, and uh, and if I don't bring up, if I'm not talking about Star Wars, they're not interested, and so those people like aren't they aren't even real like real viewers. So I don't really care about them. But in general, like that's part of why I stay on social media and still use Twitter more than I should, uh, because the majority of my interactions with the audience are just really positive. Well, and I think one of the things that I don't know, it seems like humans crave in general right now is like being on the inside of an inside joke. And I feel like your channel has just the perfect balance of like little niche things. And and one of my favorite things that you do that that kind of feels like I as the viewer get to know Patrick just being Patrick is the fact that you bring your parents in on the videos. So, like, what was the process of asking them, hey, mom, hey, dad, do you want to be in a YouTube video? Like, how did they react to that? Because it just seems like you have so much fun doing those videos with them. Oh, I I do. I really do. So this happened, I I should be very clear. Uh, I realized that the last time that I brought up my parents uh, on this episode was when I said that they lied to me about why I wasn't allowed to watch Ninja Turtles. I don't want to paint them in a negative light because my parents are like the most wonderful people in the world. And I I, I love them so much. So obviously, like I, I expressed an, a, a strong interest in studying film in college and having a career in film you know, when I was in high school. And that is not the kind of, like, that's not the safest career plan. You know, that's not the kind of thing that that automatically, like, leads to jobs. And I I have to just praise them for being so supportive uh, constantly. And especially after college, when I spent years uh, having very little success while attempting to to make a career on YouTube. what ha- The way I fell into making video essays was, it was late 2016, all of the opportunities that had come along from like the Wes Anderson X-Men had all dried up. I was back at square one. Uh, I had no really like great new ideas for like viral videos. And so 
So um, I decided to have one last run at YouTube before maybe just giving up forever. And I decided I would uh, focus on consistency, like consistent schedule, instead of trying to make every video a big spectacular hit. And so I said I would make weekly videos for three months. And uh, and back then, all the videos were like kind of narrative short films. And I knew that I could not make a short film every single week. So I... Uh, I decided I would make I try some different kinds of videos. Maybe I would finally use that cinema studies degree and make some like video essay type things. And I remember I was talking about this with my friend Jake Torpy, who is a major part of the videos and has been is in everything. And he just when his immediate response was, "Oh, you should make a video with your Fast and Furious rant," because <laughs> at, Jake, like all my friends, were aware that pretty much any time I ended up at a party, if I would hear someone say they hadn't seen the Fast and Furious movies. I would just launch into this monologue about why they're great and why people should see them and give them a chance. Uh, and so I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I could turn that speech that I've given so many times at this point into a video. And originally, the video was just going to be me in front of like a white backdrop giving a speech about why the Fast and Furious movies are really great and interesting and people should watch them. And then like a day before I, I shot it, I had this idea like, what if... I added like a framing device where I wasn't just speaking to the camera and the audience, but I was visiting my parents and because I, I was like, I, I think I was visiting my parents at the time. Uh, when what if I just like gave this monologue to them while like drinking whiskey and uh, and I seemed kind of unhinged and I was like, that could be funny. And so I asked them if they would be in a video and they, I mean, they agreed. Uh, my mom was a bit more receptive. Uh, my dad, I think my dad, because he, he, he is now, my parents are now both retired. Uh, I think neither of them were retired at the time. And so he was like, okay, I'll do it. But, uh, you know, don't just don't put my name in the credits. And he was, he, he wasn't excited, but he agreed. And right. then as soon as they saw the comments on the video, normally YouTube comment sections, horrible places. And I, <laughs> I stopped reading the comments two years ago, just like for good. But the comments on that video with my parents were so positive and people loved them so much that immediately, uh, immediately they were like, oh, this is fun. People like us. This is really nice. <laughs> we'll do more of these. And then it, that and that one-off video then turned into a series, and my and it's now become a fun kind of collaboration between my parents and I, where I'll I'll tell them like what I'm thinking because it's an, it be, like everything I do does it grew into an ongoing serialized story uh, like storyline, uh, and so I'll tell my parents like where I think it's going to go, and they'll pitch me on ideas. Usually, it'll my my, my dad will have like a line he'll be like i think i should say this line i think that would be really cool and i'll be like yeah sure dad uh well fine we'll, we'll put it in but uh right. but but they love doing them they have gotten they've they've gotten so comfortable on camera now like they know what i need and so they know how to like modulate their performances and uh and it's great it's just it's just become like a fun kind of ongoing activity that my parents and I do together. And I'm I'm so happy with how it's gone. And look, I the reason I put them in the video in the first place was, was like, I think my parents are really cool and funny. And I think maybe other people will agree. And uh turned out I was right. Well, it sounds it sounds like you have joined an elite group of directors like John Houston who have actually worked with their own parents. 
Uh, that's all I'm hearing you exactly. say. Exactly. And uh, are like, you know, Martin Scorsese putting his mother in, in Goodfellas. I right. think the lesson here, guys, is that I am just like our generation's successor to like John Houston and Scorsese. That It's yeah, that simple. I, easily. I think it needed to be said at some point. Well, Patrick, as we move into the last part of our episode today, we are going to get into drinking this last whiskey, the Traverse City American Cherry Edition. I've got it poured out in front of me, Brad, and this bad boy, like the cherry scent is is very obvious. The color almost reminds me of like a rose gold. Like it's very clear that the cherry gave this some color too. But man, this thing smells incredible. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It, it reminds me a little bit of an old fashioned. Like it's got kind of just those fruity notes that really pop. Um, but yeah, you know, it is a flavored whiskey and... If you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Bob and I will drink anything. And if it tastes good, we're going to talk about how much we like it. I don't give a rip if it's flavored. You know, sure, you can be a purist all you want and drink, you know, whiskey that doesn't have any flavor and is boring. But in the end, if something tastes good, it tastes good. And let me tell you what, this is some good stuff. This is delicious, man. And and honestly, like... You know, a lot of times flavored whiskeys, they have chemicals added to give them that artificial flavor. This is naturally flavored, um, and it only takes the proof down a little bit. This is just barely below the threshold to be called bourbon. Uh, it's 35% alcohol or 70 proof, and I, Brad, I, I could sip on this all day. Yeah, it's smooth. It's, you, you know, I always call Leinenkugel my porch drinking beer. This is kind of like my hot summer day porch drinking whiskey. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Patrick, what are you thinking about this one so far? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it is uh, only 1.40 p.m. And I'm worried <laughs> that I'm going to get drunk off of this just because it's so tasty and it's so smooth <laughs> that I want to just drink like a full glass of it right now. Like, I mean, <laughs> these have all been good. And I'm not even saying that this is my favorite, but like the barrel proof, you got to sip it. You take right. your time with yep. it. This one, it's not the same situation. It's uh, It goes down much smoother, uh, and it just has such a nice flavor that I'm just like, oh, I could just, you know, just keep drinking this. And um, I think it is too I, – I have work to do today. Um, I, I don't – I'm going to have to, like, hide this from myself so that I do not get drunk before 4 p.m. That's perfect. That's the best endorsement you could possibly give this. Yeah, I mean, you you talked earlier about living alone and how nice it is, but that's the danger is it's really hard to hide whiskey from yourself. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Yeah, maybe I should like put a bucket on my head and just stumble around and like hide it in a place that I can't see. <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect segue into getting into uh, our lightning round. We want to ask Patrick a few kind of rapid fire questions. Patrick, we will ease you into this with with less rapid fire questions. But I want to hear your takes on some movies. We've been talking around movies, I feel like, this whole episode. All right, so we're going to get into this lightning round. The first question that I have for you, Patrick, is this. Is there an aggressively mediocre movie that you love? Aggressively mediocre? <laughs> this is not lightning. <laughs> This is a lightning round question. Yeah, this is like the easing into the lightning round. So let me let me say it like this. I have this movie I love from Cameron Crowe called Elizabethtown, and it is the most aggressively mediocre movie I've ever seen. But there's it, like uh, there's, weird, uh, okay, there's okay. weird greatness in it. And I can't get around that. And I, I just I'm so fascinated with what it became. 
that it's like my mediocre movie of choice. It's weird. Elizabethtown is so strange that I don't, when I think mediocre, I think like a middle of the road, not very interesting. And Elizabethtown is so bizarre that I'm just like, <laughs> is that mediocre? Uh, right. Like, like, I, like, Again, this is all subjective. Like in my head, that is not a mediocre movie. I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's like, like for instance, um, just it has so many problems, and I wouldn't even go as far as to call it like good, but just because of its impact in my childhood, like I could basically give you a one man show performance of Batman Forever. Oh man! Uh, because I have that memorized, and uh, just because that was my favorite movie when I was in second grade, and so that's that's it, it's that kind of thing. It's like I, I would maybe give it like like a like being generous, like three out of five stars. But I I know it like but like like I know it so well, and I have such an attachment to it that that's maybe like the closest answer I can give. I like it. So on the flip side, then. Is there a classic movie, like a universally beloved movie that you've just never been able to get behind? Brad and I had an episode where we did 2001, and I just had to admit that I've I've watched it like six times through. And it's just it's so inaccessible to me that I had to just go out on a limb and say, I, I dislike 2001. I, I mean, there there probably is. I'm really trying to think like classic, classic films. I mean, I, w- I will say uh, I am like just... I'm more confused than anything by Forrest Gump. Yep. Considering it's one of the most like beloved films of the past 30 years in American cinema. And it's I just think it's weird. I think it has like I'm I'm very mixed on it, but uh yeah, you know what? Let's go with that. Because I like I could say something like, you know, like, oh, like I don't like The Revenant, like a a recent relatively popular movie, but that's not like a classic. I'm gonna go with Forrest Gump. That Patrick, I just want you to know that you probably made Bob's entire year of 2020 because he has like the exact same take about Forrest Gump. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> it's like, like I, I, I will say. So, um, uh, do you guys listen to the podcast Blank Check? Oh yeah. Okay. So, like, I was I was just on the first episode of their Zemeckis series, and I'm so excited for their Forrest Gump episode. Uh, because after watching that movie again for my Zemeckis video, I was like, I want to talk about, like, I not only want to talk about this with everybody, but I want to hear like the take. I want to hear like two plus hours of like everyone I, who's like, I respect on film talking about this movie because it's so strange and it's just kind of been viewed for like 25 years as just like a wonderful heartwarming film. And I'm like, no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's more going on here. Well, Bob will gladly fly out to New York and participate in your eventual video essay about why Forrest Gump is a weird movie. You know what? Look, well, let's just start a podcast. We'll just do like one of those like uh, like Forrest Gump by the minute shows. I'll <laughs> devote my go. life to it. this like to this movie. So so Bob, you, you're my co-host. Let's do it. All right, man. <laughs> All right. All right well, so. Yeah, let's get into the lightning round for real. I, I I drew that out way too long. Brad, you've got a list of questions. We'll put some dramatic music behind this segment. But uh, Patrick, just like off the off the cuff, what are your responses to the following? What is the most underrated Pixar movie? Most underrated? 
Oh, I, I'm so bad at lightning round stuff. <laughs> That's all right. We can we can chop out the silences. Don't worry. That yeah, is so okay. Chop out all the silences. You know what? I only saw it once, but I'm gonna say Monsters University. Oh, oh, that that might be a hot take. So on on the flip side of things, what would you say is the most overrated Pixar film? Oh my god, I I don't I don't have an answer. I, I think they're all, they're mostly properly rated. Patrick, I personally think that's a great answer. Bob came up with this question, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if there's such a thing as an overrated <laughs> Pixar film. I also <laughs> hesitate to call anything overrated. Yeah, that's fair. So, but that's just me being a weirdo. Name a movie that deserves a remake. Um, okay, uh, 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 Event Horizon. Name your favorite up-and-coming actor or actress somebody you know probably under the age of like 30 oh god i'm these are the kind of questions that i struggle with so much i I just i draw (laughs) blanks every time um i'm actually gonna go with zoe deutsch who i genuinely love all right choose between these two audrey hepburn or katherine hepburn this is this is very hard yeah, um, we, this is why we had you drink three whiskeys before we did this. This is cruel. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it... Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Audrey by a hair. Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington? Jesus Christ, this is this is cruel. <laughs> this is so cruel. Oh, Tom Hanks by a hair. Digital Yoda or Puppet Yoda? Puppet. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Who would say digital? Brad. <laughs> Uh, that is not true. Uh, Actually, wait, th- that said, I bet kids who grew up with the prequels, uh, yep. they might. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I was going to say, I-, I think for me, the best version of Yoda is Yoda messing with Luke. At, like, right when he's introduced is, like, the most pristine, perfect version of Yoda that this, I can ever imagine. Yeah, I mean, this is part of why I was just overjoyed when Puppet Yoda returned in The Last Jedi. Absolutely. And, like, messed with Luke again. I, I'm like, how do people not like this movie? This is, <laughs> like, look, look at what it gives us. It's wonderful. All right, choose between these animated TV specials. How the Grinch Stole Christmas or Charlie Brown Christmas? Guys, this is so cruel. Um, <laughs> the Grinch. Boom. By a hair. Thank you, sir. Oh, Thank you, sir. That's that's the wrong answer. It's I, I, no, no. I mean, like I I love them both. Like like genuinely, if you ask me tomorrow, I might say Charlie Brown. All right, Patrick, for your last last challenge here, you're going to help us settle a little bit of uh, debates that we've had. Brad and I have been miles apart from each other on a couple movies that we have reviewed in terms of the score that we give it at the end of the episode. And there's also been times where we've given a movie a low score that our fans have given us crap about. And so we want you to help settle the score. We won't give any context, but we just want to hear, give this movie a score out of 10. All right. And the first one, incidentally, Forrest Gump. Five. Wow. E.T., the extraterrestrial. Nine. There we go. Fight Club. It's been a while since I last watched it, but eight. The Iron Giant. Nine. Interstellar. 7.5. Back to the Future. Nine. Uh, The 1992 Aladdin. I haven't watched this one in years. Uh, Eight. All right, and finally, 
Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I uh, genuinely have not watched it since high school, um, but I'm going to go with eight. All right. Oh, man. I was very positive on this. Like, I, I, I hope you weren't expecting some like scorching hot takes where it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Patrick hates E.T. No, it's, uh, it's mostly like that one of us has been this weird outlier on hating a movie and have just never found someone that can be in our corner with our ridiculous take. So I yep. think we were kind of fishing there a little bit. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get it. And uh, I mean, I, I'm sure there are some out there, but like with a lot of these like like sort of like universally loved movies, I'm usually with the consensus. I'm more likely to be defending a movie that everyone shits on. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, well, and that's honestly, that's kind of where we started this episode was saying that, like, the reason we love your videos is because you're generally a positive person. And that doesn't stop you from critiquing movies. That doesn't stop you from having opinions about movies. But, you know, it allows you to kind of be a super accessible person that is really refreshing when the Internet, I would say, is in dire straits of negativity and just, you know, pure garbage in general. Uh, Yeah, that, that's not wrong. <laughs> well, Patrick, we are just so thankful that you were willing to come on, spend some time with us, drink some whiskey and allow us to throw random questions at you. Uh, you know, is there anything coming up for you or something that you recently put out that you're really excited about that you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a video out usually every two weeks. Um, so we spent like several months, I mean, 10 episodes of the, like kind of the, the talk show, which also does kind of function as a whole, like kind of story arc in and of itself. Uh, and I, I'm pretty proud of what we pulled together there, especially considering the circumstances of uh, everyone being quarantined during a pandemic. And I'm really proud of the, uh, the, the work that my friends and collaborators did, like helping me with that. Um, and, uh, and the next thing I've got coming out is September is a lighter month for me. I'm only making one video this month. So as to give myself a little bit of a break, uh, this is this weird one. I don't usually announce my videos in advance, but this one everyone knows is coming. We hit a goal on the channel's Patreon where I would buy this case of wine that the Francis Ford Coppola winery put out that cost $800, but that also <laughs> came with a signed script for the movie The Conversation and uh, had uh, like a group Zoom conversation with Francis Ford Coppola. And so I had a goal that said, like, I will buy this thing and somehow make a video about it. And that's the next video. <laughs> so I am currently drinking a lot of Coppola wine and watching a lot of Coppola movies. And hopefully somehow I figure out a video in this whole thing. I absolutely cannot wait for that. Guys, I, wa I watched one from the heart last night. And that is a weird movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah, please put that in the <laughs> video because I, I oh, need oh. someone to break that down for me. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, look, it, it is it is a the movie that just bankrupted one of the world's most successful filmmakers. <laughs> I and like really like irrevocably like changed his entire career and life. So, yeah, watching this, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. Absolutely. Well, as long as you also followed up with the cinematic masterpiece, Jack, I think we'll be we'll be in a good place. <sighs> 
I'm not excited to rewatch Jack. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that one off for a little while, but I'll get to it. I totally understand. Well, everybody, this has been Patrick H. Willems. You can find him at that name on YouTube. You can find him on Twitter at Patrick H. Willems. That's W-I-L-L-E-M-S. Patrick, we cannot thank you enough for being on the show with us today. Guys, it has been an immense pleasure. I mean, after all, you sent me several bottles of whiskey. How how could I say no? I've, I've had a great time. That's our hook, man. It's like, you know, the hour that you spend with us, you may not enjoy, but hey, we're, we're going to give you alcohol to cope. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Invite me back, please. Absolutely. And we also want to say thank you to Traverse City Whiskey for sending us these three bottles. I think all of us really, really enjoyed this. Brad, I would recommend every single one of these. If you can find Traverse City on the shelf near you, please pick it up. Like the straight bourbon's great. The barrel proof is incredible. The American cherry, one of the best flavored whiskeys I've ever had. Yeah, I, we kind of got caught up in talking with Patrick and didn't talk about the whiskeys as much as I would have liked because they are fantastic. Like Bob said, if you have an opportunity to pick up some Traverse City, whether it's you know their regular standard black label all the way up to their barrel proof, give it a try. This stuff is really, really great. Everybody, we will be back on Monday with one of our regularly scheduled episodes. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. Hey everybody, it's Bob and I am here to tell you about a really exciting giveaway that we have going on right now. We are partnering up with Universal Studios Home Entertainment. They are releasing the Alfred Hitchcock Classics Collection, available now in a 4K Ultra HD combo pack with Blu-ray and digital codes. You guys know Alfred Hitchcock, one of our favorite directors. We've already done Vertigo and Rear Window on the podcast. Well, this collection includes four of his most iconic films. You've got Rear Window, you've got Vertigo, you've got The Birds, and you've got Psycho in stunning 4K resolution. Best of all, this collection actually includes the movie Psycho in a never-before-seen uncut version, the version that Hitchcock actually submitted to the U.S. censors. They had things trimmed out of it. It is now fully restored and in Ultra HD. D. This collection features hours of bonus content, including documentaries, expert commentaries, interviews, screen tests, and much more. It's got the stars you know and love, James Stewart, Grace Kelly, Janet Lee, Tippi Hedren, Kim Novak, and much, much more. And the best part is, they want Film & Whiskey Nation on board with the Hitchcock Classics Collection, and so they've given us five digital copies of the movie Psycho to give away to you. And Brad and I have been thinking about the best possible ways to get these five copies in your hands. So we've created five different ways that you can enter to win a copy of Psycho. The first is to give us a like on our Instagram post about this very topic. So go to our Instagram, like this post. Secondly, join our Discord. We've been trying to drum up support for our Discord. If you become a Discord user, we will draw a name from a hat and pick a random follower from our Discord to get a copy of Psycho. Third, if you go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review. We'd really like to see your reviews. If you go to iTunes between now and September 21st and leave us a review, send us a screenshot of the review that you posted so we know it was you, you will be entered to win a copy of Psycho. Fourth, 
If you want to call our call-in line or leave us a message on our Anchor.fm, anyone who calls in between now and September 21st will be automatically entered to win. And finally, we are going to be dropping a keyword in every one of our episodes from now till then. If you send us a direct message on any social media, send us an email even, and say, hey, I heard this week's keyword, it is this, then you'll be entered to win. And this week's keyword, appropriate for Alfred Hitchcock, is suspense. So send us a DM with the word suspense, and you'll be entered to win one of five copies of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. We are so excited to be running this giveaway. It's going to be going for the next three weeks, so make sure to get your submissions in. And thanks again to Universal Home Entertainment.